Boston Loose Baseball episode 11, produced by Darius Dameron, Grant Paulson, going to be joined by Danny Ruye. We got a busy rundown for you today, including an update on Steven Strasburg and the latest on him headed to the injured list, plus a debuting national in the rotation, yet again getting called up from AAA. Excited about that. And we're going through the big league to-do list. Lane Thomas's future. How does he fit in for this rebuild? Patrick Corbin. Turned a corner. Is this who he is now? Luis Garcia has been raking at the plate. And what do you do in the back of the rotation? Paolo Espino or Evan Lee? All coming up on this episode of Bustin' Loose Baseball, which starts right now. This is Bustin' Loose Baseball with Grant and Danny. Interviews, analytics, and analysis on everything baseball in the nation's capital. This is Bustin' Loose Baseball with Danny Ruye. I'm Grant Paulson. Darius Dameron making it sound good, as always, on the production. Lots coming up, as you heard, on the show, but we got to start with yesterday's news. Steven Strasburg to the injured list. This feels catastrophic. Now, we are going to try our best not to be irresponsible and to speculate too much, but the team gives us not much of a choice with how vague they are with these injuries. Here is what we know. Strasburg was out for a year recovering from a very serious procedure, thoracic outlet syndrome, and a surgery that followed. And we all said all along that the worst-case scenario, Danny, would be that he comes all the way back, that he pitches in the big leagues, and at some point he goes back to the injured list. And what's worse than even that is he didn't make it to a second start. Four and two-third innings, we didn't hear any complaints after the outing, but it was his bullpen session a couple days later, a little touch and feel on the side where he had some discomfort. And while the Nats aren't telling us much of anything, he's headed back to the injured list. And I'm trying not to be overly dramatic, but it does kind of feel calamitous, doesn't it? It certainly does. And here's here's why to me. Two, well, multiple reasons. One, the history. We're all aware of it. He's been injured a number of times. There's been surgeries. There's been recovery. The biggest thing to me, though, this year is I can't help but look at the backdrop. The backdrop was Davey Martinez saying, once he's up, we want him to stay up. The reason we're doing all this mystery, the reason we're delaying, the reason he's in West Palm Beach for a month, two months, well after the timeline we initially heard about, was to prevent this very thing from happening. We don't want him on and then on the injured list. We don't want him pitching and then going back to the injured list for weeks, months at a time. Once he's here, we want him here. We got one start. We got four and two-thirds innings. The first bullpen afterwards, you got discomfort again. We don't know the gravity of it. It's hard not to immediately jump to conclusions because of, again, what he's just come back from and the history there. A guy that's pitched 26 innings over the last two years. I mean, if you – and this was a guy that was a horse, was 180 to 200 innings each of the last two seasons. not possible in 2020, but it, you get my drift. And you'd go, a little bit of discomfort in a side session. you go, okay, that's a bummer. He'll be back when he's back for a second division club, no rush for a team that's rebuilding. This was a, we are being so extra careful. We're doing everything we possibly can, dotting every I, crossing every T, and then some. We're putting his health at a premium in a year where there's no rush to get him back to the major leagues. One start, one bullpen session. Really, really, really hard to take. We had a podcast last week to get deeper into what you were just alluding to, where we essentially said, Strasburg's recovery 
A, his availability and being in the rotation. But B, his ability to get all the way back to being Steven Strasburg or just close to it. I don't need him to be 2019 World Series hero, best in the, the sport in the postseason, Steven Strasburg, pitching like a Cy Young for stretches. But just be really good, number two type starter, very quality option in this rotation. It expedites the rebuild. It gives you a chance to put an easy pass in your windshield, and then you just go past all the traffic through the toll. Without Strasburg, we got to start talking potentially, if this is a long-term thing again, about the next four years, $35 million per, $140 million or so. Uh, is that right? 35 times 2 is 70. Yes, $140 million over four years that they still owe him after this season. Now, I don't know what kind of insurance policy there is, and we're, we're getting too far ahead of ourselves, and we're doing too much speculating. Fingers crossed when Davey talks later today, he'll come out and he'll say, oh, it's something completely different. He'll be out for a couple weeks. Normally, that's not the case with Strasburg. But we, we kind of said, Danny, they need this guy healthy. If he's not, it changes all of the math. You have invested so much money. This ownership group clearly, while trying to sell, doesn't want to spend much anyway. You now have 40% of your rotation made up by Strasburg, who isn't able to post, and Corbin, who's now a fifth starter type, and you're paying those guys to be your number one and your number two. You can't build a winning rotation that way. I don't see the path forward. And and I, I hate to be that bleak. Again, we don't know the extent, but we're talking about this one scenario now. I don't see the path to them being really good again without him being able to pitch. There are only a couple of teams that could just outspend it. You know, when when the the name I just think of off the top of my head is when the Yankees tried to, you know, sign Kevin Brown and he didn't work out, they went, okay, no problem. Dynasty's still in, very much intact. We've got our core. We'll just go spend on the next big free agent pitcher. But when the Minnesota Twins spend on a guy, it doesn't work, you're done. You're pummeled. The Nationals aren't quite that. They're not the Rays. They're not the Oakland A's. But while this, you know, organization's up for sale and, and while you're kind of at a a crossroads, so to speak, of ownership, unless you get Daddy Warbucks in here who, who will spend his own personal fortunes, the cash flow isn't there for them to just outspend $35 million against uh, against that cap or against the, 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 you know, the, the, the luxury tax ceiling, et cetera. And if Patrick Corbin can't be good, you're really talking about half your payroll or you know, 35 40% of your payroll on a first division club that's going to spend close to $200 million. I don't know how you get around that. That's a really, really massive challenge for any team, let alone one that you know doesn't have unlimited budget, especially without kind of their own you know TV network printing money like the Dodgers have, or like the Yankees have. So I don't know. None of this works. Trying to keep Juan Soto, trying to uh, you know build a first division club with Caber Ruiz coming into his own, and you know figuring out how good Luis Garcia is, and all the fun things that we talk about here on this podcast. I don't know how they can be really good without Steven Strasburg being available and at least pretty good. 2019 World Series MVP, I, I think we all are saying that's gone. A useful major league starter that probably cost too much, that I thought was going to be in the cards. This scenario that we're talking about, if this is really serious and we kind of never get it back, that's something I'm really, really worried about, honestly, for this rebuild. So we'll save the Strasburg retrospectives and the you know sad music underneath of highlights for another day. I mean, we're still, fingers crossed, open for the best outcome here. It's just that normally when something is afoot with Strauss, it's not a short-term thing. And, and on top of that, we've got the prologue, what it, which was the last year. You know, with him coming back from a really serious thing that has cost pitchers at times their careers or has left them never the same again. And we kind of knew going in this was difficult. It's why I talked last week about how big a deal it was for the org and for him that it seemed like he'd come all the way back for the most part with his stuff. Uh, But now we're left with him headed to the injured list. 
reaction when you first saw the news? We can go to Darius first on this, and then I want to get your thoughts, Danny. But, I mean, I just was crestfallen. When I saw it, it was my initial response was anger, honestly. Because since 2019, it feels like it's been one thing after another, and we're still paying a tax for having been happy and seeing them win in the World Series. But eventually, as I kind of came to my senses and and grew up and matured in the moment a little bit— <laughs> And it wasn't about me. I felt terrible for the player, for Strauss, because of how much he's worked to get back. I felt for the, the whole outfit. I mean, I know hopefully it's, you know, much ado about Little and, and he's back soon. But I was just initially livid and, and kind of a here we go again. And then I started worrying and thinking about, okay, is this the end of this guy who turned the corner for the organization single-handedly with his 14 strikeout game against the Pirates? When you saw it, I think you saw it first because you started screaming and told me about it. What did you think, Darius? Yeah, and and er- earlier in the day, I was uh, you know walking around uh, feeling good because I was like, hey, I'm going to go see Strasburg start. It's been the first time in years, and I've seen Strasburg start in person. This is going to be awesome uh, to see the news. Yeah, it was definitely uh, heartbreaking for sure. I-, I guess I'm a little more optimistic than you guys. I, I am on the side of 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 the the best the better news could come from this so i'm not quite looking down the road and thinking you know how much this is going to cripple our franchise if it does go wrong, uh, wrong. right now i'm just kind of in let's be optimistic you're thinking 10 day il we'll see him in a few weeks mode that that's what i'm hoping for hoping for the best yes all right i like that i balance us out a little bit danny your thoughts absolute devastation uh worst case scenario this uh, the dark cloud is here this is a tax from joy 2018 and 2019 happened. That means 100 years of sadness and bitterness and pain. I'm okay with it, by the way. I make that trade every time. I will I will cherish that World Series ring that you and I each have, Grant Paulson. I moved. I looked at it just the other day. I was looking for cufflinks, and I happened to open the drawer in my new house where that World Series ring is, and I gazed upon it, remembered Steven Strasburg shoving it up the keys to the Houston Astros. My, my mind immediately went to the worst-case scenario. My mind immediately went to... The years where I want to take my kids to Nationals games, they're not going to be good, and it's going to be hard to, to sink my, you know, to get their get their claws sunk in, in 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 into my boys to be lifelong Nationals and baseball fans. Literally, that that's the first thing I thought of was how are they going to be good over the next five, six, seven years? Which is overstated, obviously. Yeah, that's really what my dramatic. reaction was. But that's what it was, <laughs> and it, typical, I would say, of you is the doom and gloom, and yeah, I'm, I'm sure it means that they can never win again. But I, I hey, we asked for your reaction, we got your reaction uh, because people are going to be listening to this for the most part on Tuesday night into Wednesday and beyond. We shouldn't spend a lot of time necessarily on Jackson Tatro, but I want to at least give a quick scouting report on him and talk about him as he makes his debut tonight. Just so everyone understands, we taped the podcast initially. We didn't drop because of the Strasburg news. Came back into the studio today to give you some thoughts on that to make it as timely as possible. And in a minute or two, we'll throw to ourselves when we actually did what was the original version of the podcast, <laughs> breaking down Lane Thomas and many of the other less pressing issues on the ball club. But a lot of good conversation, Nats fans, so keep it right here. Uh, Jackson Tatro, who is debuting against the Braves, who have won 12 in a row. Good luck, kid. 26 years old. He is not one of the top 30 prospects in the system, according to MLB Pipeline. And I have found that to be wrong, honestly. Is that because of age, do you think? Partially because of age, partially because analytically and stuff-wise, he's not going to move the needle necessarily. But what's impressing me about him this year, a couple things. Number one, he has come out of the pandemic year, the layoff in 20, with more velocity. He threw an average fastball at 91 miles an hour in 2019. He's now up to 94 miles an hour with his average fastball velo. That's a huge jump. 
mean, three miles an hour over three years yeah, in your no joke. young 20s is a pretty big deal. You don't see that very often. Uh, he's 93 to 95. He'll touch 97. Sliders his best non-fastball pitch, and then he throws a changeup uh, as well, more so than, say, like an Evan Lee or even a Josiah Gray. Those two guys, younger you know, in, in pitching, uh, just haven't really gotten comfortable throwing the changeup. So he's a, a three-pitch guy, fastball slider, the two best pitches. This year he's been good in AAA, got rocked in his last start a week ago, but 58 innings, he's got more strikeouts, 52, than hits allowed, 51. He's never been a high-volume strikeout guy in the minor leagues, really. Uh, he's about 8Ks per nine through five years in the minor leagues. But I do think, you know, when you look at these rankings and you don't see him, I think that's a little bit misleading for the most part because the stuff has gotten better, the velocity in particular. I view him, Danny, if people are wondering, like, what is this long term? And this is based on talking to people in the org, around baseball, out of the org, basically as a potential back-end starter, swingman, longman type probably, but he could end up being, you know, a back-of-the-rotation starter in a couple years when they're good if this development kind of stabilizes the way he's thrown double and triple-A the last couple of years, and, and he makes another leap and surprises again. But it, it's, look, without being rude to anybody else, like it's it's not Erasmo Ramirez. It's not Paolo Espino. It's a new, fresh face. It's a 26-year-old who can throw 97. Uh, it's worth being a little bit excited in this year where there's not a lot of excitement when one of these guys gets called up. Tall, lanky right-hander. Um, I, I, I like that generally. I, I There's something about that loose arm, you know, big tall guy looks like an octopus walking on land that I like for that kind of role you're talking about, that swing role. Maybe a couple times through the order, it you know, guys adjust and they see it, but that, you know, one to two inning type reliever is not the end of the world. They need some of these guys to hit. Right? Some the Evan Lees of the world, the Jackson Tetros of the world. Someone that nobody's counting on all of a sudden turns up and and, and gives them some quality innings at some point. It's true. They need some of these. I I also want to be careful because I don't want when like Cavalli or Henry or like the real good guys get called up that people are like, well, you said this guy was. These like Evan Lee is not supposed to be a good major league starting pitcher, right? Right. Jackson Tetro is not. Your point is occasionally with other organizations some random guy that was supposed to be a long man turns into a really good third starter and if Tatro or Lee or one of these guys could do it here it would be a game changer right so one you know when when Lucas the, the the best example is when Lucas Giolito comes up this was supposed to be the new you know linchpin of the organization the new guy that was out front the new you know top line starter and he's throwing 88 89 and the breaking ball was bad and you know everyone's like uh, oh my god he became expendable with someone that they would laugh you off the phone if you asked him to be included in a trade and then, you know, next thing you know, Mike Rizzo was like, hey, guys, do you want Giolito? And I was like, wait, what? What a massive departure as they soured on him. Leads to Adam Eaton, leads to a World Series. We know the story. But when those guys don't hit, when the guys you're counting on, a lot of eggs in the basket, when that doesn't hit, that really hurts. The other end of that spectrum is, eh, we'll throw this to the wall, see if it sticks. We need a fifth starter this week, or we need a long man, or we need somebody. And then all of a sudden, a guy takes that opportunity and runs with it, or, or really develops on the fly. Those are such boons to the organization. They don't cost very much at all. All of a sudden, you're going, how many years do we have? Oh my God, six years of controllability on fill-in-the-blank, and it can be just an, a game-changer for an organization. Well, and here's the bigger deal now, is with your monologue you did a moment ago about how they'll never win again because of the Strasburg and Corbin contracts, right? That's right the young arms become that much more important. 
because they're controllable and cheap. That's Cavalli. That's Henry. So if you can create a rotation with Gray on this first deal, with Cavalli, with uh, Henry, where those three guys end up being a one-two-three punch, you know the Brewers as an example with Woodruff. Now it's right now two of these guys are hurt, but Woodruff and Burns, a Cy Young, and Freddie Peralta, like they catapulted to the top of their division. They became one of the best teams in the league because they had these arms. If the Nats were able to with homegrown talent, establish a really viable rotation, that's the answer. I mean, that's how you get past the Strasburg and the that's Corbin right. contract because now you don't have to spend your way out of the pitching problem and you're able to still to win with pitching. Uh, but it's easier said than done, obviously. Yeah, if there were, in most organizations in, in a different place, after you know, not necessarily competing for uh, you know a decade or so, you'd go, We've got seven, eight, nine, maybe ten guys that are candidates for two or three spots at best, right? Well, right now we're like, okay, we have to have like a ninety-five percent batting average here. We have to we have to make sure that Cade Cavalli works, Jackson Rutledge also has to work, and Cole Henry's got to be healthy. That's kind of their path, and I understand how we got here. I'm not mad about it, by the way. You you know your system is is bereft of uh, a lot of high end talent because you used it to keep your window open. Well, that window closed, and now you're kind of building that up again. They did this before they started their run, adding pieces. You know. You pick 1-1 in successive years with, with Strasburg, Harper, and you, you had some really high-quality talent like Anthony Rendon there at the 5 or 6 spot. I can't remember where he was. But they haven't had that in a while. So now they need those injections again to kind of open the window. All right, that is the update on your news, Strasburg and Tatro related. So this would have been your podcast that we recorded on Monday, starting with a quick conversation about winning two games against the Brewers and a lot of pressing major league-level questions to be answered for this Nationals team moving forward. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. See you later. I was at the game on Sunday, chasing my kids around the ballpark. My daughter got to hang out with Screech. They ate ice cream. My son threw up peanuts and ice cream everywhere. It was a fun time. Can I say two things? One, I'm really impressed with your ability to remember what show it is that we're that we're on. Thank you. If you put a firearm to my head and we're like, "What show is it?" or "Everyone you love is gone," I'd be like, "I, I, I let me say goodbye." To all my loved ones. I have no idea. It's amazing you can do that, that's number one. Number two, going to games with little kids. Well, an awesome thing. You're like passing the grand old game down to everybody else, and it's just a beautiful, wonderful thing, yada, yada, yada. It's not fun. It's just not. It's not as much fun. You'll never convince me that it is. So I view it a lot like I viewed going to Disney World. We had a similar conversation then where you said right. something along the lines of, don't take your kids to Disney World. You're going to be miserable. And I did it anyway. And basically what I would tell you about going to a game is, is the same as what I said then, which is there are these really amazing, cute, precious moments I'll remember forever. For every like hour of stress and angry time that they're running around or they cut someone off or someone bumps into them and they cry or whatever happens, there's this moment where my daughter sees Josh Bell on the scoreboard and points to him and says, Josh Bell, Josh Bell. And goes crazy. And as a three-year-old girl, I think that that's awesome uh, that she is plugged in like that. Or when she hears Juan Soto's name over the loudspeaker, she starts jumping up and down. Or when she's just screaming in sheer joy because the president's race is going on. So there's enough to get me through the day where I'm like, this is a good thing. 
But you're right. It is yeah. high stress. Yeah, you're doing the right. I'm not saying you're doing the wrong thing. I need a vacation right. after I take my kids to a baseball you're game. You're doing the right things, and it's awesome. It's being a parent. I mean, I did it. You know, I, I spent a second mortgage on ice cream uh, in catcher's helmets, and we had to get Dippin' Dots three different times, and cotton candy You're pretty much instantly. over it now, though. You don't really do it. Well, it, ha- it hasn't happened much. I mean, pandemic happened, I'll <laughs> yeah. say. We, we didn't go to a ton of games uh, with my kids. But, I've, you know, I've done it several times. But each You've put one, in your time. Yeah, each one, it's like, whew, here we go. <laughs> you know, like sign of the cross beforehand. Let's tee it up. Yeah, I think they've probably been to like five or six games this year. They, they like it's awesome. Ma- matinee baseball is their thing. So yesterday, my daughter was walking up to the center field gate out on uh, South Capitol Street, or I, what is that? A little half street right there? Yep. And she said, um, she's like, yay, it's baseball day, national screech. And that right there, there it, it is worth, yep. worth the trip. I just wanted to give her a hug. All right, so they take two out of three from the Brewers. Let's just go through some of the things going on with this team right now. Starting with, you wanted to have a Lane Thomas conversation. He was on the show on our last podcast. What Lane Thomas discussion would you like to have? So he's been scalding hot of late. Uh, you know the numbers. Uh, he's been really, really good hitting the ball all of a sudden after a dismal start. And these hot streaks, and it's recency effect, obviously, as he's been tearing the cover off the ball. And, and he's, even a game the other day, he didn't have uh, any hits, but he was on base a couple of times at the top of the order. By no means am I saying that uh, this is the real Lane Thomas, you know, the guy that hits 400 for for a few weeks at a time. But he may be one of those guys that, given a full sample size of a season, is going to accumulate his back-of-the-baseball card good, positive, crooked numbers in spurts. There are the guys that get five hits per week, and you can set your watch by them, and I'll hit my 286, and I'll and I'll do it with a, in a very consistent way. Then there are dudes that, you know, accumulate all the, the good numbers over the span of Really, a, a small fraction of their at bats, and then kind of the rest of the time are you know maybe below major league average. I guess I'm kind of wondering. I know I'm a little bit higher on him, I think, than you are. Big picture as a as a potential piece for a good team. Is there a chance that Lane Thomas is an answer and not just somebody that's here right now? You know, wearing a uniform. So I, I guess I would answer your question with a question, which is to say, what do you want to be? Like, what are we building here? I think Lane Thomas can be a starting outfielder for sure on a second division team. He could be one of your top couple outfielders on a, like what what's happening right now. He's in the mix on a given day to be their best outfielder, not named Juan Soto, right? They're one of the worst teams in baseball. If you're trying to win a championship, look at the best teams in the sport, the Yankees, the Dodgers, you know, clubs like that. He's not a starter, in my opinion. What I do believe about Lane Thomas, who's 26, is that he is a major league player. I think on that team, he serves a really nice purpose. He can run. He can field. He's got a little bit of pop. Like all the tools for me on a, the right day, you can see him at big league average or, or a hair above on, in some things. So I think he's athletic enough. He's good enough defensively. He provides enough offensively that I believe he's a big leaguer. This is not some triple A Timmy. Do I think he's a starter, I guess, is really what you're asking a couple years from now when they're good again. And my answer to that would be no. And I hope I'm wrong because I root for him. I like him. He was on the podcast. He's an awesome dude. I like his game a lot. These are the types of players I think that you need in your organization. But, look, you're right. He's hitting 333 in his last seven, and that's with a one for seven Saturday and Sunday, really cooling him off. He's hitting 296 in his last 15. He's 16 for 54 at the plate, and he's got four home runs in that time. So he's this has been a heater over the last couple of weeks that kind of cancel out 
what happened at the start of the season. And I think what he's been this year, I guess, is my point, is what he is. He's hitting about 240. He's getting on base at about 300 on the nose. His OPS is 714 because he's got a decent slug. He's got six homers. He's driven in over 20 runs. I think this sample that we have of two-plus months is kind of what I view him as. I think he'll be streaky. He can get hot. He will be cold. And he's probably a mid-200s hitter who is a low 300s on base type guy, not going to draw a ton of walks, who for me is probably a fourth outfielder on a really good team. That's kind of how I view him. So I've got I've got that plus maybe a little bit in my eval. Like the, the guy reminds me of in terms of how we get here, right, to those numbers that you talked about, because I agree with you. Over, over your 162-game sample, if he plays every day, I think there's going to be a month where you go, oh, crap, it's Lane Thomas. When he comes up with first and second and two outs, you're going, you know, Everyone pick up your gloves. Make sure you're ready to go play defense. Right, and right now you're happy when he comes up but in right those now, spots because yes, he's rolling. But right now he's scolding. The guy he reminds me of is Michael A. Taylor. I mean, that's how if you get Michael A. Taylor certain samples like spring training or the postseason, that dude's awesome. That dude can do something really, really special. But you kind of have to put up with some of the. Yeah, we're you know we're over the last seventeen with fourteen strikeouts and and you know it looks mechanical and he, like every pitch is either behind the fastball in front of the breaking ball or, or, or otherwise. But he's toolsy. Not as toolsy maybe as Taylor can't run or, or, or throw like Michael Taylor can. But at the plate, that's kind of who I, I comp. And it, it's if your team is good enough, you could sort of afford to deal with valleys from a guy like this in the hopes that you kind of get him at, at the right spot, you know, come a pennant chase time or maybe come a playoff series. And, you know, you're, you'd like to do better than Lane Thomas. And, again, I'm not trying to beat the guy up. He's a, he's a good dude. He's a, uh, you know, quality, decent enough major leaguer. We're talking about trying to get back to championship window again, trying to get back to a 2019 type thing. He could be somebody that if your regular guy isn't, you know, firing or has a sprained ankle or something like that. Like, you know, where Victor Robles had a, a bum hamstring. You throw Michael A. Taylor in center field, he's going to make a few big plays for you. He hit the home run in the in the dark shadows, that weird contrast against Adam Wainwright, the only offense for about seven hours in game, uh, I think it was game number two, against the Cardinals. He's going to do some things every now and again that you go, you know what, I'm glad he's here. You have to put up with some stuff, but I think he can be helpful. So it's I, I, I have your evaluation like not quite a third outfielder, on a really good team, but it's like a four plus, if that makes any sense. So for me, and it's not to parse up like I'm staring at one tree in the forest you just gave and arguing. It's as if it's more to just drill down on what he is. Like the Michael A. Taylor comp, Taylor's got more power. Taylor's faster. Taylor's oh, a better defensive more player. So that's why it do- doesn't work. It's like, he's Michael A. Taylor, but this is different. This is different. This is different. <laughs> I just sort of mean at the plate, like the process of getting the numbers. In that he's streaky and he'll strike out from time to time. Yeah. And then you're going to have two months where he's hitting under 200 and you get really frustrated. And then he's going to have some unbelievable moments where you're like, oh, look, the tools. Remember the tools? I mean, look, in 2018, he did hit 27 home runs in a minor league season. Uh, that year he hit 264, but he had an OPS over 800. For his minor league career, he's a 755 OPS guy. End of his minor league career in AAA, AA, he was over 800. So he's shown some of that power. But yeah, I just, I think that. Uh, he is a guy that I would I would trade for if I needed a bench outfielder. Like, I like the player. Uh, right now, you're just kind of asking a lot of him, I think. All right, let's pivot to Patrick Corbin, who is on the rundown today as well, because he has thrown pretty well in two straight starts. Last outing we saw him was Saturday. 
against the Brewers. His line's a bit deceiving because he pitched in the seventh and ran out of gas, but six innings, seven hits, four earned runs, two walks, and two strikeouts. He has gone six innings in consecutive starts. He's flirted with quality starts now in consecutive starts. Patrick Corbin, last time out, Danny, I can dive into some of the specifics from his outing, but what are we thinking right now? He's no longer, oh, my God, Patrick Corbin's pitching is he going to get out of the third inning? That's not what's happening right, right. now. So once out of every three starts, you're still getting that disaster, oh, my God, what are we doing? I think seven runs and four and a third, three starts ago. That's better than every start. Well, it's true. But which that's, is what happened for most of two years. And I know we're, we're setting the bar pretty low here, but it is it is progress. The strikeout numbers aren't there, which is something I want to dive into here in a second. But you're right. His, his last outing, totally color different because he started the seventh inning, four straight hits, you know, sort of just like that. And when he was cruising, one th- one run through six, changed the eye line of, of how his outing looked, right? So if you if he sits down after six innings, handshakes, hugs, we're going, that's awesome. Patrick Corbin lowered his ERA. This is a nice outing, maybe without, you know, punching guys out at the rate that we're used to seeing. But that would have been really nice. Unfortunately, you know, you get those crooked numbers there in the seventh and in a ball game that they win. But I want to touch on this this one element of a GP. You said it, two strikeouts his last go round. Five the outing before that, but he's been in the kind of the five or less in the majority of his outings over the last several times out there. And I'm wondering if this is maybe, maybe we're doing it this way now. Maybe you can't put guys away. So let's try to make a bargain. Let's try to say, hey, let's do some contact. You want to get this about over with? So do I. I'll throw some strikes. Maybe we'll do it this way. The maybe, problem, maybe though, is he better way. locate because he doesn't well, have stuff no good kidding. enough to pitch to contact. But, I mean, look, Paolo Espino slows you away and, and pitches to contact. Like, you could do it if you're not missing in the big part of the plate. His last start on Saturday against Milwaukee, he threw 27 sliders, about 26% of his pitches, got 11 swings and five swings and misses. They were five of his six swings and misses in the entire game. He threw 34 fastballs and got one swing and a miss. He's not going to be able to miss bats with his fastball anymore. That's just not a thing. I just don't think it's a thing, yeah. And by the way, he touched 94-plus miles per hour. It's not like he's throwing 89. Like He he touched 95 in that start. But if you're looking at movement and life and those things, clearly uh, there's, there's not enough deceptiveness or life because you swing 19 times, you make contact on 18 of those times against the four-seamer. Total on the fastballs, you know, you swing – 34 times, you're swinging and missing once. Um, He did do a pretty good job, I think, keeping Milwaukee off balance in that he had 12 called strikes on fastballs, which is a pretty high number when you don't offer it a fastball because maybe you're thinking slider or something else. His best pitch, and it always will be, the slider, about 37% of the sliders he threw were either swings and misses or called strikes, which is a really, really nice CSW percentage. So he's been a double-digit Ks per nine guy a couple different times in his career, and when he was at double digits, it was upper eights, right? He, he's had put-away strikeout stuff. That guy's gone. He has the same strikeout rate as he did last year where he was you know, the most hit pitcher, basically, in Major League Baseball. And everybody as they age in sports has to kind of go through – uh, a renaissance of sorts. So there's the occasional freak of nature that continues to do it the way they did it before, the Tom Brady's of the world. But for the most part, if you'd like to stay at the highest levels of the sport, you have to sort of reinvent yourself. And the guys that struggle to do that oftentimes are sort of the bright, shining stars that end up you know, fading away. We don't hear from them again. The guys that are great starting pitchers for two years, three years, five years, whatever. And as the game changes, as your stuff changes... The, the guy that with the best example of that is Zach Grinky. When he came up, he was mid to upper 90s. His stuff was nasty. Now he's, you know, 
I don't know, he's like John Burkett at this point, just throwing nothing but change-ups and two-seamers and, and you know, 62-mile-an-hour curveballs and the like. Patrick Corbin may be reinventing himself on the fly here before our eyes, and it's not going to be as good as it was, but is it useful? Is it now an albatross? Is it a black cloud hanging over the organization in terms of a contract they can't get out of? Or is he somebody that can be useful every fifth day and get you through five, six innings the way he's doing it now? I, I, I'm hoping it's – you can hear what I'm hearing my voice. I'm just looking for something, You're man. You're talking yourself I'm, into something. I'm just desperately grasping at something because I slide down the mountain. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Is, that, is that a root? Your death is that is... pitch of the contact? Is that a sinker? <laughs> your death is imminent, and you're just sliding, and you're grabbing at little twigs, and yeah. you just keep falling. Uh, but uh, shtick aside, to me what he's done this year – He's pitched like a fifth starter on a good team. If you post every fifth day and you occasionally give me six or so innings and save my bullpen and you're competitive and more often than not over the last month and a half anyway, you know, you've been able to navigate like after you give up an early big inning, you settle back in. That's what a fifth starter does. So there's look, the the money is never going to be even with performance anymore based on what you're paying. Right. That's done. But if he is a rosterable fifth starter who serves a purpose, best case scenario, he can throw okay and you might have the lead. Worst case scenario, he's going to eat innings today. He's going to wear it and pitch six or so innings, and your bullpen will be better off because of it. There is value in that, and there just wasn't the last couple of years probably. Uh, But we're in a way better situation with him than we were. I think anybody would admit that, and the team, while – I don't think they're ever going to be thrilled again with kind of what they're getting out of him. Like They have to like what is happening at this point based on the last couple of years. Speaking of liking what is happening, next on the docket, Luis Garcia. Luis Garcia has been called up to the major leagues. He is already on his max exit velocity, gone to the 92nd percentile in the big leagues. He runs a little bit better than I thought he did, too. Yep. He almost beat out a ball yesterday. Uh, I was really impressed by when he was digging down the line. Now, it's funny to say that because in the same game on Sunday against the Brewers, he got thrown out by 16 miles, and I didn't know what he was doing trying to get to second base. But uh, he's hitting 372 so far. Utterly unsustainable. I understand that. His expected batting average, though, 355. Like, it's not like he's 372 and it should be 291. He is hitting missiles. Exit velocity, launch angle, all those things that they're going to look at are portending to good things in the future for Luis Garcia. If you compare him to what we've seen when he's been called up in the past, and I you know, I, I hesitate to really go deep into a lot of this stuff because the sample size is so small, but he looks much more competent, much more comfortable. He's taking pitches that he didn't before. I've been really, really impressed. His chase percentage uh, last year uh, and this year is still probably higher than I want. But uh, there's a lot of things that he's doing differently than before, like uh, first pitch swing percentage, big adjustment he's made. In the past, he went up there and he swung at the first pitch about 35% of the time over the last two years. He's over 50% right now. Like, he's here to chew bubblegum and and put a barrel on a ball, and he's all out of bubblegum. I've really liked what I've seen. It mechanically, reminds me a lot of a young Robinson Cano. And I'm not making the comp because Cano was, was incredible, uh, but just the approach, the way he stands at the plate, et cetera. Here's what's going to happen. Right now, you know, guys, the book on him is from before. Let's go right after him. Nothing to see here, right? He's a young kid. Now that he's hitting a little bit, you're going to see guys try to get him to expand the zone a little bit more. And you've seen it already. Only one walk, I think, seven strikeouts since he's been back up. 
Then the adjustment period happens, right? Are you chasing? Are you doing them any favors? And that plate discipline, that preternatural thing that Juan Soto was born with, that a lot of these you know younger players don't really get to learn, especially at the minor league level, where guys are just kind of you know working mechanics and, and not really locating to that unbelievable nth degree that the guys in the show do. That's going to be kind of the next phase. So the slump is coming. That happens. You're right, as you said, it's unsustainable. Hitting you know 370 as it is, and stuff is too good. He's going to start to have to make that first adjustment, and then you're going to have to pick your and choose your and still fire off your A-hack when they give you that rare mistake or they finally do challenge as you get into a plus count. Working counts, making sure he's not hitting their pitch, because you, you, you tattoo enough pitches in the middle of the zone. Pitchers take notice, right? The advanced scouts have seen it now. We're going through a couple times against first division clubs, the Braves, who have ripped off, I think, 11 or 12 straight come to town here as of uh, this recording. The Phillies, who've been on fire since they fired their manager. These games matter to them. They're not just going to let Luis Garcia smack the ball off the wall a bunch of times. They're going to make him earn it. Those adjustments are what make the really good big leaguers. And I can't wait to see that. That's kind of the thing. That, that's part of the game within the game, the small under kind of, a, you know, one of those hidden story type processes that I'm giddy about watching Luis Garcia make the adjustment. Because as you said, if they throw a strike, he's going to spank it. And that's better than it was. That's really encouraging. There's a lot to like here, but I can't wait to see the adjustment period that's coming. Yeah, he's swinging in the strike zone more often. His hard hit percentage in 2020 was about 30%. In 2021 was 31%, pretty consistent. This year it's 49%. It's up about 18%, which is kind of the biggest leap or or jump that he's made, among some other pretty substantial ones. But exit velocity, which was 83 and 86 the last two years we saw him, is now over 90 on average. So he's hitting the ball a lot harder. Uh, I still have high hopes defensively. It's interesting at shortstop. Every time I've kind of written the book and decided he's not a shortstop, he makes a pretty marvelous play to the point where I I know he can play the position if need be. I don't know that consistently he will ever be mechanically sound and uh, sharp enough on the boring plays, just the routine plays, that you want him to be your everyday shortstop. I, I view him as whether it's second or third or whatever. I mean, third is not something he's really played any of, but I'm sure he could play the position. Probably a second baseman next year and beyond. And when your shortstop, whoever that is, needs a day off, he can move over there and do it just fine. But there, right now, I would say that when he makes, the, you know, if there's bases loaded, you're trying to get out of a jam, he goes to the backhand, he's got to make a long throw. I have no confidence that that throw is going to the chest of Josh Bell. And that's a little bit of a problem, I would say. To me, he's a second baseman. And that's, it sounds like it's an insult. It sounds like it's a knock. It isn't. Playing shortstop in the major leagues is really hard. It's like one of, only a handful of guys get to do it. Everybody comes up as a shortstop. And to his credit, I think he could do it adequately. Yeah. But if you're looking for a stellar or a really good defensive shortstop, and I think that's important, I'm just not sure if he'll ever routinely be a guy who keeps his error count low and, and makes all the routine plays. There, there have been moments, certainly, where you go, damn. That's really good. The one I pointed to on, on their, our regular Grant and Danny show was in a, in a blowout. I think it was a blowout loss in Miami because they now can't beat Miami, which is just weird how, how times have changed. But they threw out um, Jesus Aguilar at home plate by you know 15 feet. Ball to the wall. Robles goes and gets it. Quick relay throw. Garcia, instead of coming to get the throw and catching it in the air, okay, the ball's going to short, is, is going to take an in-between hop. He gives with it shuffles towards home plate, gets it on a short hop, 
and in the same motion as he's shuffling, fires a strike to home plate to get Aguilar. That's as big league a play and an underrated thing for an infielder. That's only going to happen what once or twice a week. You're going to fire a throw off at most, where you're where you're not doing you know the the, the routine room service two hopper to first base or turning the double play or kind of the, the normal conventional things. That was a big time major league wow type play that you know he made look easy, made look effortless. It's not. I'm telling you that play was ridiculous. And then I'm kind of going, Danny, are you wrong? Could he play shortstop? Is that the thing that they see that, that he's able to do? So I, I still think he profiles as, as a second baseman, but there, there's been enough where I have a little bit of doubt about my eval. That was a long way of saying that. Last thing on the to-do list would be what to do at the back of the rotation. So you have Paolo Espino and Evan Lee, basically, vying, it would seem like, for the fifth starter spot now with Yohan Adon sent to AAA. And by the way, Adon pitched in AAA. And I didn't see if he got removed from the game for any other reason other than ineffectiveness. But he basically threw like two innings and walked a bunch of guys and gave up hits and threw over 60 pitches in those two innings and was done in his first AAA start. So he's got plenty of work to do, obviously. But I went to the game on Sunday, and I, a couple days earlier I'd gotten tickets thinking Evan Lee was going to pitch, because why wouldn't he? And then I found out Paolo Espino was starting, and I, I can't tell you how annoyed I was by that. And I tweeted something along the lines of, you know, came to the game to see Evan Lee, about to watch Paolo Espino, let the kids play. And Paolo Espino, as is normally the case, was pretty effective and did what he did. A couple innings, he threw, and then he was out of the game, and then Evan Lee came in, and Evan Lee would give up a two-run homer, and someone said, guess they should have stuck with Paolo. And it, you don't understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> I, Paolo Espino could throw a perfect game, okay? That doesn't help me much. I'm not here to win the baseball game on Sunday. Evan Lee's future way more important than Paolo Espino throwing six good innings or seven good innings. And I say that to say that Espino, who is 35, who was drafted quite literally in 06 when I was a senior in high school, 16 years ago, when Evan Lee was eight years old, God bless him. I, I, what he's given this team over the last couple of years, I've been stunned by. I'm impressed. He is fun to watch because he's crafty. He's got a role right now. He is a long reliever. Keep him in that two, three-inning role. Stretch him out. If you want to piggyback him with Evan Lee because you're going to get let Lee only go four or five innings and you have Paolo season go on those days, no problem. But Evan Lee at 24, trying to develop a changeup, trying to become a major league pitcher, you called him up. But let's let the kids Right now is the time. Let them do their thing. Let them develop. For years, you shouldn't have done that. We didn't do that. Guys yeah, like Joe Ross games. or Carter Keeboom or whoever, like they can't develop. Lucas Giolito, we have no time for you. We got to go get Adam Eaton and some help because uh, I'm not going to sit and watch Reynaldo Lopez learn how to pitch. I'm trying to win a World Series. This is now the time where it's about Evan Lee. If he gets rocked, he gets rocked. If he doesn't, he doesn't. But I am here to develop pitchers. And this is going to be very telling to me what they do. Remember, Luis Garcia wouldn't be here probably if not for an injury. That's right. To Alcides Escobar. Uh, I've already forgotten his name. Alcides Escobar. If Alcides Escobar doesn't get hurt, who was in his mid-30s and starting for some reason I don't understand, then Luis Garcia wouldn't even be here, who's been the most fun thing about the team to watch over the last couple of weeks. Similarly, in this rotation, Danny, if they go with Espino over Evan Lee— it's going to drive me nuts. And I know what they're thinking. In their minds, they go, Evan Lee screams multi-inning reliever. He's a guy that can go through the lineup once. You don't like him the second time. He's only really got two pitches. I get it. Like, he is a three-inning big leaguer guy, four-inning big league guy right now, probably tops. But my point would be, they're thinking about this as to, like, how to win the most games. 
To me, that shouldn't be the priority. The priority should be how do we get him to, to be more effective the second time through? How do we get him over some hurdles? And I want to do that at the major league level. And if they're not going to, then send him down to the minors to stretch him out and let him throw six innings at a time at Triple A Rochester. It's the point of development. And, and what I mean by that is for years and years and years, you, you wouldn't see any of this stuff take place at the big league level. Right, just because the the way development went, the way this would all be down on the farm. He would the guys that turned in that were closers, that were high inning or high re, uh, leverage relievers in, in key innings, all were starters at one point. Because when you warm up in the bullpen that day and you go, "Oh crap, I don't have my stuff," what do I do? You figure it out. You figure out a way to get out. So you go through those days where you don't feel great. You go through feeling good, feeling bad. My fastball's got extra juice today. What do I do? I'm overcooking my breaking ball. How do I get out? All those things happen. And they used to happen down on the farm. Now, because the, the emphasis is on young players and controllability, we, we see guys maybe sooner before they're you know sort of finished uh, bacon in the oven. Think of Yoan Adone, for example. And I'm hoping, by the way, they didn't shatter the dude's confidence. We have to rebuild him now from, from scratch. That's discouraging to hear uh, what he did at his first minor league outing. But that's a digression. Evan Lee should be failing right now. Evan Lee, who just started really pitching full-time a, a couple of years ago, should be Hey man, this is this is what I can and can't do. These are all viable, teachable moments. These are lessons learned type things, and channeling him into a role that he might occupy in a couple of seasons. I know that sounds good, but but this is the time to to let him go out there and get knocked around. If you believe he can handle it, if, if his psyche can handle getting shelled at the major league level, then you let him do that. If not, then he needs to be down in AAA or or AA, wherever you want to slide him. This is about going through adversity. This is about emerging on the other side, ready to contribute on a major league club. And him pitching out of the bullpen after Paolo Espino, who, as you said, is 35 years old, I don't necessarily see the upside of the benefit, maybe the way that they do, because they're trying to instill something. They're trying to have a winning culture, do things the Nationals way. That all sounds great. I need to see Evan Lee go through the ups and downs. If you're wondering, by the way, is Evan Lee the guy that eats a Papa John's pizza every single night? I am wondering that. He is that guy. Cole Henry told us about a teammate of his and a roommate of his who never eats at the ballpark with the spread that the nutritionist for the Nats provides because he always goes back to the hotel or his uh, place where they stay and uh, has a Papa John's large pizza waiting for him. Yes, that was Evan Lee, who sticks to the four major food groups of Cracker Barrel, Chick-fil-A, Olive Garden, and Papa John's. I forgot about Olive Garden. I was like, what's the, I remember the first three. I forgot about Olive Garden. Dang, Zoom. Time for our studs and our duds for the last week that was in Nationals Baseball. Darius, you get the honors to go first. Who's your stud of the week? My stud of the week is one, Nelson Cruz. I don't know if anybody's hotter on the team than Nelson Cruz right now. Yesterday, oh, excuse me, Saturday, he drove in some big runs. It was actually really cool, that sequence where uh, the guys went back-to-back-to-back, Juan Soto, Nelson Cruz, Josh Bell. That Fun game Saturday, absolutely. So Nelson Cruz, my stud of the week. Uh, I want to see the power numbers get up there, but the RBI numbers are definitely where they need to be. Obviously, uh, the, the the hits are piling in day by day. 421 average for Nelson Cruz over his last week. Five games, two bombs, seven batted in, both team highs, obviously, and a 1,300 OPS in that time. Uh, my stud of the week is the second hottest guy on the team. How about Josh Bell hitting 350 with an 1150 OPS this week? He had two homers as well and drove in six. He had more walks than strikeouts, which, you know, other than Juan Soto, nobody on the team does. I thought he had really, really good at bat, seven for his last 20. Love what I'm seeing for Josh Bell. And like Darius's answer, Nelson Cruz, both of those guys are buoying themselves as trade chips. The better they play, the more you get back probably at the deadline. 
Month of June has been very kind to our guy Lane Thomas. 1.1 OPS in the month of June, getting on base at a 442 clip, hitting 385, three homers, five RBIs. He's walked a few times as well. He has been scalding hot of late. That's including, by the way, I think a one for seven uh, here over his, his last couple games. Doesn't matter. Barely, when you put up those huge, huge numbers, a little one for seven barely slows down the lane train. Yeah, he was seven for 18 before that one for seven, hitting 320 in six games over the last week at this point. All right, Duds, Darius, you're up. Uh, my Dud of the Week, I'm going to pick on a relief pitcher here, Andres Machado. Uh, he pitched in three games over the last week. He's got a six ERA in six innings, uh, giving up eight hits, six, uh, six runs, four of them earned, a couple of home runs. Uh, it's not been a great. Uh, return to the big leagues for Andres Machado. I believe he came back. He came back about a week ago, maybe two weeks ago or so. Yeah, yeah. pitched a couple times, and the run per inning, as you said, isn't going to butter the biscuit. Uh, eight hits, I think, in those six innings you may yeah. mention. Uh, Michael Franco, three hits in his last 18 at bats at third base, a 167 average this week. I don't get up in arms about you know a, a week of, of not hitting, but this has been longer than that, obviously, for him. He got off to a really good start. He was their lead run producer, if you remember, for the first week of the season, uh, but you know, over the last month, he's kind of settled back in as a 240 hitter and a uh, guy that you know the, the quality of the AB, which I care about, is not always great with him. Um, but he's got some power, and he he has helped them get by without Carter Keboom. This is probably one of the few teams in baseball where he's got a full-time third base job, maybe for an entire season. <laughs> so uh, he's he's got that going for him. The 29-year-old, my dud of the week. Third of the week, I like this guy an awful lot. And after a torrid start, he has come crashing back down to earth behind the music VH1 style. Yadiel Hernandez, last 28 days, hitting 156 with a .436 OPS with only one home run. Last 14 days, .067 batting average with a 192 OPS. And his last seven days, nothing but zeros. Goose eggs across the board. As many hits as me. Uh, batting average of zero. On-base percentage of zero. OPS also of zero. Yadier Hernandez, it ain't good. We do these studs and the duds. First episode of every single week. Leave a review and a comment on the show. If it's nice and positive and you say nice things about us, Darius will read it on the next podcast. That's the way this works. Boston Loose Baseball twice a week. We're back at it later in the week. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy this lengthy Nat series with the Phillies coming up, including a weird doubleheader on Friday. We'll talk to you soon. Boston Loose Baseball in the books.